Good morning, everyone. Glad to see everybody here this morning. Thank you all for being here and being a part of the class. Um, before we get started this morning, if you will, please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We, we thank you for being our one true God, Father, for being the creator of this universe and the sustainer of our lives and all the blessings we have in this in this life, Father, we thank you for everything you've given us and all the wonderful things that we enjoy on a daily basis, maybe the things we don't think to mention and 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 thank you for individually, but we, we do thank you and praise you for all those things, Father. We ask that you would lead and guide us here through this study and in your word, help us to learn what you want us to know, Father, to be aware of the things that we need to watch out for in this in this life so that we can continue to follow you and and follow the Lord correctly father we ask that you would lead and guide us every day in that and help us to continue to learn your wisdom from you father we uh, also pray for those who couldn't be here this morning we ask that you would bless them and help them father and help bring them back to us father where their trouble be illness or or spiritual in nature or anything in that that line. We thank you and praise you again, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have been or are in Revelation chapter 17. And last week we had just looked at question number 10. And so we're ready to look at question number 11. Now, again, this is Revelation chapter 17 in the workbook. Let me fix. I don't think I fixed the screen here, did I? Sorry about that. It's kind of changed the way I have to do things for some reason, but that's okay. We can get there. So this is, this is what we're looking at in chapter 17 and 18 is Babylon and the fall of Babylon. So that's, this is what we're looking at. Uh, who or what we're looking at, I think of it as more of a spiritual thing, being a spirit. So let's drop back and look at our verses here. And this is in uh, Revelation chapter 17, and technically verses 7 through 18. Um, so I'm just going to read those again to re-familiarize us with what we're studying. But the angel said to me, Why did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel, whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come, and when he comes he must continue a short time. And the beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth, and is of the seven, and is going to perdition. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. These are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. 
These will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. Then he said to me, The waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. And the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind, and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman who you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Now again, moving over to question 11 in our workbooks, and we do have workbooks in the back if anyone wants one. Um, what do the ten horns represent on the beast? Well, yes, ma'am. Right, ten kings, right? They represent ten kings. Uh, we might think of these, and, and I'm going to relate this to Rome for just a moment. If we look at this and think about people getting their power from Rome, these could be ten governors out from Rome that are ruling certain areas. But just that's just one thought on that. Um, could be governors that are yet to be appointed. And uh, this sounds like, uh, this part sounds like a worldly government being corrupted or or usurped, and I'm not trying to apply that directly to anything in particular, but just that, you know, spiritually Satan is trying to maneuver his people into places of government. And uh, we're going to see here, well, why one hour? It says one hour. Why one hour? A short period of time, right? It's to denote that they will have a very short amount of time that they will be in power. It's temporary. It's going to pass, as we say. Uh, you think it's back? It's back in what way? Oh, you mean, yes. Now, if we relate this to today, yes. When we roll this forward and relate things to today, you can see, yes. You can see people in power. Some of them are Satan's people. They, they are. They are corrupt, and they are fulfilling uh, the wrong things. So that's, that's very true. Let's see. So uh, the, my idea, though, is the whole demonic organization is just going to be short-lived. It's going to be temporary. So if we look at uh, question 12, what else is said of the ten kings and the beast? And the, the workbook author is looking uh, at verses 13 and 14. They give their power and strength to the Let's see. They give their power and authority to the beast, right? They do. Um, the kings are of one mind and will give their power and authority to the beast. They will make war with the lamb, who we know is Jesus. Um, now, there's a translation difference here. I didn't think it was major, but just in case. Uh, some some uh, of them, instead of saying that they are of one mind, it says they are of one purpose, but the idea is still the same. It's not really a difference. It's just that they're in, in agreement on their intentions and what they're going to try to do or what they do. They're just of the same mind and purpose. It's pretty much the same thing for our purposes. Yes? And we totally have that situation today. We have many who are adversaries and 
Right. If you relate that to today, you can see that a lot of people are in that same mindset and are actively against the Lord and God in various different levels of society today. Whether it be it does, it's not just government, but it's in society. We see that. Um, let's see. So, what was the the king's purpose? What did they all do? Is that a repeat of our question? Well. I don't think of it that way, but what, what was their purpose and what did they all do? They had one mindset and that was to be against the Lord, but to give power and authority to the beast. Right, they're giving their power and authority to the beast, right. Um, they, and they all make war with the lamb, right? Okay, so I guess that is in a way kind of a repeat, but I don't think that's a... Well, anyway, I apologize because I had something else in mind, I believe. But nonetheless, that sounds like what we've already talked about, so we'll move on. Uh, does anybody have anything else on that? In question 13, why will the Lamb overcome the beast and the ten kings? And... That's the question, anyway. It's it's kind of an odd question if you think about that. Why will the Lamb overcome the beast and the ten kings? Because he has authority. He is the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Oh, yeah, the beast and, and Satan and, and all of these kings really don't have anything to stand on, to be able to stand against. And those are the, who are with him, who are with the Lamb, are called chosen and faithful, right? And that should be, that should be the Christians. That should be all of us, God's people. Now, um, let's see. the The idea here is that they dare to stand against him. They stand against the Lord. But this should be encouraging to us and reminding us of the Lord's victory, because we're we're talking about all this bad, evil stuff going on, and then we come down, but. And we're reminded that the Lord will be victorious in that while it looks bad, it may look bad at first when you're reading through and you're seeing these kings and everybody's arrayed against God and the Lord, but the Lord will still be victorious. So, does anybody have anything? Yes. Right, right. They they don't have any respect for God or the Lord, and uh, they are definitely in aligning themselves against against Him. So, if we look at question fourteen, what do the waters upon which the harlot sits represent? And it says it says right there in the verse, they represent peoples and tongues and multitudes and nations. So this, this depicts the corrupting influence of the spirit of Babylon on the world, going out among the nations in all the world. If we look at uh, Jeremiah chapter 51, verse 13, 
Jeremiah is talking about the destruction of Babylon also. O you who dwell by many waters, abundant in treasures, your end has come, the measure of your covetousness. And again, just, just referring back to the Old Testament, the same prophecies we're seeing about the end of Babylon, the end of uh, this idolatrous uh, society. Yes. It makes you think of the city of Jerusalem. It's completely different. It's going to become new. It's not going to be destroyed. Right. Well, Jerusalem, it depends on how you look at it. There is going to be a new Jerusalem, though, right? So there's going to be a new Jerusalem, but Jerusalem has already kind of been destroyed by the Romans back in those days, back in 70 AD, right? And the temple was destroyed. So in a way, Jerusalem has already suffered that. And some people will say that Babylon here refers to Jerusalem, but there's also a lot of verses, like when we get down to verse 18, that make it sound like it refers to Rome. So there is some back and forth with that. I tend to think of it from more of a spiritual sense, especially for our purposes, that it doesn't matter so much the exact city that it's describing as it describes this spirit of idolatrous uh, corruption and betrayal and being against God. And we need to watch out for that and that influence. That's That influence is in the world. It's in society now. So. And we need to remember that the beast that's in Babylon is not the same as the Lord that's in Jerusalem. He's, he's the ruler and he's the one who's going to be coming back. The Okay, yeah, the beast the beast with Babylon is not the Lord at all, right? It's not 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 at all. And the Lord, Jesus is the one that's going to be coming back. There is there was a mention of uh the the beast who was and is or is yet to come and you know, we got to remember that the this was written to people way back um before the fall of Rome, before was it before I think it was before the destruction of Jerusalem. Anyway, it was written back there to them, and, and it's trying to tell them of things that they could expect, but it's also got a lot of good spiritual value to us today. It's hard to, it's hard to know what to take literally. Right. There's, I think there's some things in, there's a few things. No, I, I would say the more I've studied this, the less I think there are a lot of literal things. But there are, there are some things I think we can look at that may be literal, but a lot of this is spiritual and about that that uh, corrupt influence of the society and the world and how we need to stay separate and apart from that. Yes, man, I'm sorry. I was going to say this verse 15 goes back to verse 1, where that's where we first saw kind of to get this image on our screen over here, right? Where it starts painting that image of this this woman, this harlot. Uh, sitting on many waters. I'm not sure how well that shows waters. <laughs> it doesn't show waters. Yeah, that's true. Maybe that's behind the rock and water. I don't know, but um, but I guess to go to the point of you know to what extent is it literal? You know, if you do if you do relate this idea to Rome, the idea that um, Rome had its commerce throughout yep. the world through waters, and so and I think the next chapter gets into that. But all these people who are oh no, it's gone. Yeah, kind of like not getting their money anymore because Rome. Yeah, and, and that's going to be a part of our discussion as we go forward because I think there's more implications that it refers to Rome than Jerusalem if you're looking at it from that historical viewpoint.
because of all the things like you're talking about, all the commerce and all that. There is a thought, though, that Jerusalem had some good commerce and all, too, but it wouldn't be as much as Rome in these days, I wouldn't think. So, because Rome was the government. It was written after the fall. Was it written after? Okay. So it's written after the fall of Jerusalem. So definitely that. Right. So this, again, makes us think that that it could be, you know. <laughs> Go ahead, man. Well, I was just going to say, I actually agree that I think this was written after the fall of Jerusalem, but, but those who take the view that that's what it's talking about actually take the view that it was written a little bit earlier, like a couple of years before, like AD 69 or something. Right, and I think, I think when we were looking at this in the beginning of the workbook that they mentioned, too, that it could be, it could be a little earlier, but most people seem to think it was written like around 90, I think, and that would put it after that fall. Um, and let's see, and there's another, there's another thought to a lot of this too, is some of this corruption and Babylon could represent the Catholic church and the way that is supposed to be God's people worshiping God, but instead have been, uh, corrupted and adulterated into worshiping who knows what, uh, all kinds of things. And, uh, and you do see that with the Catholic church. So there are some valid comparisons that aren't just one thing. So. I do try to keep all of that in mind. Um, it's like, a, again, because of when it was written. Now, the, the Catholic Church did not exist at the time it was written, though. That's true. Did you have something there? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think you've made this point before that, uh, let's say, let's say we understand that it means Rome. Well, then that becomes a picture for us to think about that concept in other things that we, like, like, like Dave said, I, that's the government today, or whatever. Right. To whatever extent we see these sorts of perversions and these sorts of things going on today or elsewhere in history, I think there's a, almost like a, a type and a type relationship in a way, maybe like, you know, it's a, it's a paradigm that we see repeated. Right. It is something we see repeated down through history. Like if this represents Rome and that society, this is something we see represented or repeated down through history with different uh, cultures, different societies, different nations that come up, our own included. You can say that uh, this very much uh, is a reflection. Are we doing anything in this society? And I don't necessarily mean we personally are doing these things. But is there anything really going on in society now that probably was not occurring back in the Roman days? No, probably not. <laughs> because people tend to be the same, right? I mean, not trying to be mean, but I mean... People without God tend to do a lot of the same activities. Yeah, so, I've been studying the French and Indian War. <laughs> the French and Indian War? The things that were going on today were going on during the French. I mean, they were doing the most heinous things you could imagine. Right, right. When you look at war, there have always been horrible atrocities and things going on in every war. So, yeah. Yeah. And people put are put in extreme situations, so their responses to those situations can be extreme. and. Some of that's pretty sad. So I think we've wandered way off, but we'll come back. So uh, question 15, let's see, what will, what will the 10 horns, the kings, or as I was, I'm thinking of them more as like governors or sub kings, um, what will they do to the harlot? Get rid of her. Get rid of her. Well, that's the short version, right? Get rid of her, right? They, they, huh? They eat her? Well, yes, they do. That's that's right out of the scripture, right? They burn her. Um, it says they hate the harlot. They make her desolate and naked. They eat her flesh and burn her with fire. 
I thought that was very interesting because they really seem to enjoy the harlot a lot, don't they? But uh, if we look at the next question, because I think these two go together, why will they do this? Basically, yeah, just to fulfill prophecy, for God has put it in their hearts, right? To fulfill his purpose and fulfill his words. Yes. If you look at Romans 1, verse 24 through 26. Oh, okay. So, yeah, if we look at Romans, let me, let me, let me get there. I'm a little slow. I apologize. So we're going to look at Romans chapter 1. Did you say verse 24? We'll start with 24. We'll see where that takes us. Okay, so, Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. And for this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions, for the women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. I'm sure we've all read all this. It's a lot of bad stuff. But, uh, but that being the point that they had been given over to all this sinful nature because they, re well, they refuse God. They refuse to follow and believe God. And so he will use even evil people for his purpose, for his will, to fulfill his will. Yes. God gives them free choice, but it's interesting. Even yes. Today we're seeing how they will turn against each other and attack one another. They do have free will. As much as they try to the united front, they'll turn on each other on a dime. Right. These these types of people they are they are turning on one another. Right. They turn on. A source, if you look at their relationship here, they're supposed to be uh, kind of, that's she's supposed to be in this case, and we'll get into this more as we go, she's supposed to be a source of luxury and pleasure for them, and yet they're going to turn on her and, and do this, eat her flesh and burn her with fire. So, and, you know, you hear a phrase sometimes that... Uh, you know, this group of people, they eat their own, and then that's the idea, is that they, they really are not as united as, as it may appear at first. So, All right, so in question 17, how is the woman finally described? And we're talking about that last verse. That great city that's set up on the hill. Right, that great city which reigns over the well, kings of the earth. Well, earlier it said the city that sat on the hills, though. See, you're remembering the previous that's verses. What I was going back to. <laughs> right, and that's fine because that is it. And that, again, those two things, the fact that it was sitting on seven hills, right, and, uh, and it's talking about that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth, that, again, really points to Rome, if you think about it from that historical viewpoint. So... Right, I, I really felt like this, 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 those two things together are a direct reference to Rome as, as an ungodly people under the sway of the spirit of Babylon. Um, and they did persecute and kill, kill Christians, so it kind of fits with, you know, this whole representation that we have here. Um, and for us, I think this represents society in general as we were talking about, you know, we live in a society that turns against God more and more. 
Now, and we, we don't want to forget that Babylon 2, looking at uh, the definition that we were looking at last week of the harlot, that it's supposed to represent people who should be worshiping God, and yet they are not. They are idolatrous, and they are um, being sinful, being deceived by the riches and the material things of the world, the pleasures of the world. And we'll get into more of that as we go, too. Um, let's see. We don't want to forget that in the, in the Colosseums, the people turned out and cheered for the death of other people, and some of those people were Christians, right? They, they turned out and cheered for that. So this society is really, yeah, we think of it, I mean, we don't see anything exactly like that today. Thank the Lord for that, right? Yes? Was Rome destroyed with fire? Um, you know, I don't remember. It seems like I remember that Rome was sacked and burned, though. Around now, I know that uh, one of the things I read was that it was destroyed around 476 AD one time, or it was at least sacked. Maybe destroyed is the wrong word since it still really exists. I know we have the old thing of Nero There is that, yeah. and I'm I, I'm aware that that's supposed to have been something that actually happened, but I'm not aware, you know, of when that was and everything. I'm not that much of a story. That was. During the time the Bible was written, that happened. Okay. So I think that was in the fifth. Okay. And, but, uh, I mean, what but that was, you know, if you study that, that, I don't think that has anything to do with the Bible necessarily. Right. That has to do with Nero wanting to go and do house. Right. They need somebody to blame. Yeah, and there were some people, we read even with the word book author, a plausible thing about Nero being part of this, this reign of kings and then. This was it Domitian or something, a name like that that came later was supposed to be Nero again or something. Did you have something, Matt? I'm sorry. Okay, all right. They were basically, um, you know, Rome, Rome was a republic for 300 and some years, 350 and some years, and then it became a like a kingdom, and there were 12 Caesars, what Britain called the 12 Caesars, and that, that, that period of the 12 Caesars is when the Kind of like Christianity starts, Jesus is like all these things, and after that, um, it started to go downhill, kind of. Right. So after, okay. So so Rome had this. Okay. So they it kind of slowly fizzled out. They grew, and then they, yeah. You know, it wasn't. There wasn't some like burning of Rome, and that was the end of it. No, it was like just it was like hundreds of years of infighting. And well, they did have that. They had hundreds of years of infighting. That is true, and they, you know. Uh, but I, I thought I had remembered, though, that they had been, you know, that, that Rome had been invaded a time or two, but that may have been much later when they were past their heyday and all that, so. So, but, yes. I was referring to verse 16 where it said that she would be from the fire. Right, right. And if you think of that being Rome and she's going to be burned in fire, that could refer to one of the things I'd read is that it referred to some... Um, I thought it was some sacking or something of Rome around 476 where there was some major thing. 402. Now, 402? Okay, so maybe there was one in 402. Yes? And if you think about those timelines, you know, this is AD 96 or whatever. <laughs> right. This is written. Um, and these folks are suffering and about to suffer. And, you know, it's going to be a while. <laughs> they're, 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 the 
the hope is given for right now to be faithful in all this, but um, it's a few generations. If, if, if we're understanding this to be Rome, when Rome right. was more destroyed, um, that's going to take a while. And I guess the, the same lesson for us, you know, uh, we're looking for Christ to return and to vindicate us, and it might be a while. It, it could still be a while, people. right? Even though, even though a lot of this, especially especially in the historical viewpoint, a lot of this is based on, or in the beginning of the book, it says these things are going to happen soon. What's your idea of soon? Is it a few centuries? Which that would be like you're talking about the fall of Rome really didn't happen for a few centuries, and it was more of a gradual process. I think he defines what soon is. Um, I think it's probably like around 70 AD. Right, and there there is a feeling too that that could be quickly take place, but still, the time is near. Right, the time is near, but again, while we're we're looking at that and it's being written to these folks that it's going to happen soon, and some people say, well, it all happened back in seventy A.D. when Jerusalem was destroyed, and that's the end of it. But then that would not even flow with the idea that that this was written in 98D. So that's why I say there's a lot of stuff that you really, what we really need to do when we read this is learn the spiritual lessons from this and really not try to equate it so much with all the little historical things. God Plano has the best way of explaining revolution. God wins. That's yeah, well, that's the end of it, right? The Lord wins. You know, and we all go to heaven, and or what we think of as heaven, which is the new Jerusalem, and that's what matters. And that's the short of it, right? Does anybody have anything else on chapter 17? Yes. This is the great city, right? Give us comfort, you know. Back in Revelation six ten, you see the people. I think they were under the altar. They're like, "Oh, how long, O oh Lord?" Yes, how long? How long? Yeah. And we feel that today, but God does intervene. I mean, if we look at Roe versus Wade, decades, decades and decades in our lifetime, it prevailed. Right. Um, As that's that's probably a good example. As an example. It took 50 years for Roe versus Wade to be changed, right? So, because that was the law of the land for the past, you know, 50 years or so. So, these things do change. It takes, you know, it's going to take time. Everything's not going to happen in our time. It's going to happen in God's time. And that's the way, uh, that's another way we need to look at Revelation. Yes, he's going to win. He's going to come back. Um. But two, he's being very patient and waiting to save everyone that can be saved. If you remember our other verses from the Bible, that he is waiting to save everyone possible. Yes, Matt? We've talked about how these the things of the devil are sort of counterfeits to the things of God. So here in verse 18, this city has the, the kingdom over the kings. Well, that's, that's a big deal. But then we go back to verse 14. We already talked about Christ is King of Lord of Lords and King of Kings. He's the ultimate, ultimate. He's going to overcome all these things. So it's like it almost sounds similar. The kingdom over the kings, but like Christ is better. Right, right. Because yeah, because 
Rome, if assuming that is Rome or whoever it's referring to, it's they are they are a ruling city over kings, but Christ is better because he is the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. He's the ultimate authority. Um, and that's that's who's gonna be victorious in the end. Does anybody have anything else on chapter 17? Because with that with this, we're really looking at Babylon, and then in verse I mean, in chapter 18, this is going to be about the fall of Babylon. So remember that Babylon is the great harlot and is seducing God's people into straying into idolatry. Now, there's there's several things. I'm going to read a couple of things out of the workbook. Some say this is representative of the fall of Jerusalem and the temple. As we know, not everyone agrees with that. Not going to worry about that too much, but I'll read what he had here in the workbook. Uh, this would be in harmony with Revelation chapter 17, verse 16, where those who first supported the harlot eventually turned on her. So it was with Jerusalem. And now when he's talking about Jerusalem here, I really feel like he's talking about the Sanhedrin, the people who were ruling, the council ruling Jerusalem, who depended upon the approval of the Roman authorities to persecute the church and later became the object of Roman persecution herself. Very fitting is the depiction of Jerusalem as a harlot, for she should have been a great spiritual city, but had become a great commercial center by virtue of the roads that passed through her between Europe, Asia, and Africa. Um, but if Rome, and in particular her commercial and immoral spirit, is the harlot, then this chapter may describe the fall of Rome. Oh, in 476 A.D. So I got that. I got that date from the workbook. So there you are. Um, but Revelation chapter 17, 18 says, "And the woman you saw, whom you saw, is the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth." And again, I just I felt like this really described more Rome. But regardless, we we should be looking for the spiritual application and the things that will apply to us today. So the main points of this chapter, the, the first eight verses will be the fall of Babylon proclaimed. Uh, verses 9 through 20 will be the mourning of Babylon. Uh, I saw it uh, described in one place as uh, woes of Babylon. Uh, and then in verses 21 through 24 will be the fall of Babylon justified. So let's read the first eight verses of Revelation chapter 18. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having, a great, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities." Render to her just as she rendered to you, and repay her double according to her works. In the cup which she has mixed, mix double for her. 
In the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same measure give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I sit as queen and am no widow and will not see sorrow. Therefore her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. So if we look at question two here, who proclaims the fall of Babylon? An angel, right? An angel, and if we look, there's a, this is an angel with great authority whose glory illuminated the earth. The earth was illuminated with his glory is how my text reads. And this is reflective of the, to me, this is reflective of the glory of God. You know, how God's glory is huge and bright and shining. If we look at uh, question three, what is said concerning nations, kings, and merchants in regards to Babylon? And it says that they have drunk, right? Nations have drunk of the wine of her fornication. Kings have committed fornication with her. And merchants have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. So they've all... They've all committed this sin. They've all partaken of that sin, right? They've all joined in with that spirit. And that's something we really need to be aware of. I'm sorry, we will, I'll tell you what, we will pick up here and continue next week. So we are out of time this morning, but I do thank you for your time and your attention.